0: and I, I just had a smile come across my face as we sing that our, our God reigns, and I just had this thought that i don 't know about you, but i 'm so grateful that god 's reign is not dependent on how we feel. Because sometimes it doesn 't feel like God is reigning. sometimes it doesn 't feel like that at all, and that is irrelevant to the fact that it 's true that 's what we proclaim as followers of Jesus, and so we 're going to continue in our worship in God's Word today, but we're going to do it from a a place where we know the end of the story. We're in the book of Exodus, but we know how the story ends, and it ends with what we just sang, that God reigns. You can have a seat, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) But I want us to know that. I want that to be the foundation of every single time we gather together, no matter whether we're coming off a celebration or something challenging or difficult, that, that God reigns, that we can trust that, that we know for certain that that's who God is and what God does. And so maybe even make a note for yourself, even before we even start the sermon this morning, that you can just write that God reigns, that God is in control, even when it doesn't feel like it. Even if it feels like, man, where was God in 2021? Maybe you had a really rough life and you're trying to figure out what was going on. God reigns and that is true. That God will see you through, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning, and that's what we talk about every single Sunday. So if you've been with us, you know the last few weeks we've been talking about the birth of Jesus, we've been kind of circulating around this Christmas message, and today we're going to get back into the book of Exodus. And I, I want to tell you right off the start, there's no, um, the kids are gone, there's, uh, there's no more foreskins, there's no more blood, there's no more death of babies, at least not for now. Today you are, um, you are immune to it, you don't have to, to worry about that. Today we're going to talk about one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible, the crossing of the Red Sea. How many of you are excited about that? Yeah. So we're in this series, uh, The Way Forward, the book of Exodus. I don't know a better sermon series title to start a new year with. The Way Forward. How many of you feel like, man, we need some direction on which way we should go? Sometimes we feel like, and I I feel like we're going to see the Israelites with this feeling today where you finally make it to a point, like we just made it to a new year. We finally turn the page. We breathe the sigh of relief, like, oh, we made it. And then we take an inhale and we think, what do we do now? So I want to jump into the the book of Exodus chapter 14, but I, I think that instead of trying to give you some hokey New Year's resolutions and 10 easy things to have a great 2022, I just want to jump into God's word because I think that God's word has the greatest resolution that we could ever make, and that is trust God and follow him. So if you're with me uh, and you have a Bible, we're in Exodus chapter 14. If you uh, don't have a a Bible, you certainly have a cell phone. It is 2022 after all. You can read it on your cell phone or we have it on on the screen. Let's just dive right in and see what God's word has to say this morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Sephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say, to his, uh, will say of the uh, people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So let me paint the picture for you. This is the moment where the Israelites, they, they exhale and they realize we're finally out of Egypt. We're no longer slaves in bondage to Pharaoh. And they get out into the wilderness and then they breathe in and they look around and they think, this is uncomfortable terrain. We've never been here before. This is the crazy situation. We know about the 10 plagues and Pharaoh finally says, get out. And so they do. But we have to remember the Israelites are, are, are traveling traveling with their whole people. They're traveling with newborns. They're traveling with old and sick. They're traveling slow, and they don't know how to navigate the land. And so they're out there, and they're waiting for God to give them direction. I want to point out uh, something that God says. He says a handful of things, but I want to point out the tone that God speaks with. Let me read some of the things God says. God says that Pharaoh will think that I should go get my free slave labor back. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He says, I will receive glory. Pharaoh will pursue you. And the Egyptians, in the end of this story, God says, before the story even unfolds, God says, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. It's a very definite, exacting tone in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, wouldn't you say? The first thing I want to tell you this morning, if you're taking notes, and I I even made some slides because people have requested it in the past, is this, that in 2022, God has a plan for you. Even if it doesn't feel like that, even if it feels like you've been overlooked or you've been forgotten, even if it looks like the situation is unfolding and I don't get it, God has a plan, and his plan is not just a good idea. It's not just a, ooh, Andy, I, I wasn't really watching down there. Give me a couple days to figure out what to do. God has a plan, and his plan is definite and exact. He knows what he will do. Just like I started this morning with when I first got up here, aren't you grateful that God's plan is not dependent on your feelings? How many of you have followed God before, and you feel like, I am with God, God is with me, I am on fire, I am on the road, and then all of a sudden you're looking around, and you're like, God? And even that word God kind of like goes off into the abyss, and it's echoing, and you're like, where where am I? Where do I... I go now. Even when it doesn't feel like the perfect plan for you, God has a plan because his plan is not feeling dependent. Verse 5 continues the story, and it says this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, what is this that we have done? uh, that we have let Israel go from serving us, basically this is how I would paraphrase it, oh shoot, we just had a huge contingent of free, cheap labor and we just let them walk. Now, I'm not an expert in economics, but I got to imagine there's going to be some financial ramifications for letting uh, 600,000 slave labor just walk out of your country. So Pharaoh, the lights come back on and he realizes this is a very, very poor PR decision I need to get the people back. So he made ready his chariot in verse 6, and he took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. I think this is the picture you should know. Even one chariot is more chariots than the Israelites have. What the Bible wants you to know is that Pharaoh wants to be quick and he wants to be precise. He wants to kill off anybody who resists or fight back, and then he wants to get his slave labor back. So what does he do? He mobilizes the entire army. At this point in history, we are talking about the most well-equipped, powerful, violent army on the face of the planet, and their job is, on paper, a really simple one. I want you to go out and I want you to get a whole bunch of people who haven't been trained and they can't fight back. They have the old and the young. They'll give up really easily. Just go round them up and bring them back and I'll lead the way. That is how certain Pharaoh thinks this plan is. So he took the the 600, all the the chariots and all the officers over them. Verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. If you're one of those people that's comfortable writing in a Bible, you should underline that word out defiantly. We'll come back to it in a second. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them and camped by the sea by pi hi in front of Baal-siphon. Whoa. All of a sudden, God's plan has met some resistance, hasn't it? Up until this point, this is what these people have experienced. They've experienced this almost like incubator effect of, of God bringing all sorts of plagues on the land of Egypt that, that culminate in the angel of death coming over the homes and sparing all the children of the Hebrews. You guys know the story. And so there's been this feeling that no matter what happens, we're safe. As long as we just follow God, we're safe. And now the story is, is kind of unfolding in a way that safety is no longer a guarantee for these people. We're about to see this in a second, but they're going to turn and look up and realize, oh shoot. As one of my uh, theology professors used to say, this is the clean Christian way of saying a a nasty phrase. It's when the defecation hits the ventilation. (laughs) Right? That's what this is. Now, I I think there's something going on here. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we immediately go like this. We start watching and we think, here's the bad guys, here's the good guys. We love to do that, don't we? We like to watch movies. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And so we immediately think, oh, Pharaoh, he's definitely the bad guy, which which I agree. But I want to talk briefly about Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh has had a change of mind, hasn't he? He just openly relented and said, God, Moses, get your people out of here. I don't want, want them near us. And now just a little time has passed, and he says, I want them back. So, what's happened? And I, I've been thinking about this this week, and it dawned on me that there is a huge difference between having a change of heart and someone forcing your hand. You know the difference? The, the difference is that God has stacked the deck in a way where Pharaoh had to relent, he had no choice. But Pharaoh never had a legitimate change of heart. Pharaoh, at his core, is still the, the prideful egomaniac who thinks he is God. And so now that the circumstances have changed, he hasn't had a change of heart. He hasn't looked in and said, man, it's, it's really unethical to be enslaving all these Hebrew people. You know what, God, you're right. I, I will allow them to go. The only reason he let them go is he, he just felt like there was destruction if he didn't. And so his hand was forced. But we get a glimpse into his heart has never been changed. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down that I'm certain that in 2022 that God has a plan for you. And I'm also certain that God's plan will meet resistance and confusion from time to time. If you're in a a season where you feel like, "I, I felt like I was living into God's plan, and now I'm not so sure. Totally normal. God's plan meets resistance. Why? Because there's people who don't want you to walk in it. Not just people. There is evil in the world. There is sin and darkness and an enemy that doesn't want you to walk in it. And so confusion and resistance happens all the time. Do not be discouraged. The Bible says this often. Take heart. Take heart. Just because it doesn't feel like it, God's plan for you is not feeling dependent. Verse 10 continues the story. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. You should underline that, feared greatly. So here's the, here's the picture. Just two verses earlier, it says, like kind of this backstory that Pharaoh is getting all his army together, and they're going to go pursue them. And then it tells us that Israel is out there, and what are they doing? They are marching out defiantly. They're saying, heck yeah, we're the people that God is on our side. God brought ten plagues, and he released us from the most powerful nation on the planet. Look at us. They got their chest puffed out, and they're walking in the desert. We don't know what's going to happen next, but we know God is on our side. And then two verses later, they're in their camp, and they look up. I think this is the Bible's way of telling us that Egypt has the upper hand. They have the high ground. They have all of the equipment, all the the violent uh, tools of war. Two verses later, the people who are marching out defiantly, all of a sudden... Fear greatly. You ever been in that season where you're walking with your chest out, you know God is with you, you've you got no cares in the entire world, and then something happens and it throws everything into confusion and now you're questioning things and now you're, now you're afraid? Anybody ever, ever had that experience? I want to tell you something, that's a very human experience. It happens to the prophets, it happens to the disciples, it happens to followers of Jesus. But here's my message for you. It's that when, like we said, the defecation hits the ventilation, when adversity arrives, God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. It's not feeling dependent. This is what the people say as we continue in verse 10. And the people of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. And then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us to bring us out of Egypt? This is what they're saying. At least if we just stayed in Egypt, they'd have like holes to bury us in. We're just going to be piles of dead bodies out here now. Why? It's your fault. You did this. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt, verse 12? Just leave us alone and we will serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. I want to point out what these Israelites do. And I hope that you're, you're catching my drift a little bit because sometimes what we do is we say, oh, these Israelites, all they do is whine and complain. They're terrible people. In reality, I think the Israelites are giving us a glimpse into me and to you. So let me tell you kind of the, the boiled down version of what the Israelites just did and let's see if this connects with all of us. The first thing that they do is they look up, they see the Egyptians, and they are afraid. They have fear. Then what do they do in their fear? They look around, and they start to point a finger because they need to blame somebody. So who do they blame? Moses, this is your fault. And then they project into the future something that they don't actually know is going to happen, but they project that we're all going to die. That happened quickly, didn't it? They're walking out all defiantly, and now within four verses, they're totally afraid. They're blaming Moses, and they're saying, we're all going to die. Anybody ever have this experience? You start to feel like what is going on, and then you're looking for somebody to blame. It can't be yourself, right? You never want to blame yourself. You're looking to point a finger. And then once you do and you come to a conclusion, you begin to project about what's going to happen. And you're sure of it. You're positive what's going to happen. God hasn't spoken to what is going to happen at all, but these people are already writing the story. I think just like Pharaoh, who has not had a change of heart, he's had his hand forced, I think in some ways the Israelites are experiencing the exact same thing. There's another phrase that we use often. It's it's like a dog that returns to its vomit. Despite being in bondage and being in slavery... The Hebrews at least know that when we live in Egypt, at least we know what to expect, right? Any, any super type A structured people, and the se- second you get thrown off your routine, everything goes haywire. That's a little bit me. Anybody else want to admit it? I think this is what's happened to them. So much so, they're looking around in the desert, they're realizing, oh my gosh, here come chariots, what do we do? I wish I was a slave in Egypt, that would be better than this. And it sounds ridiculous, But for generations, theologians of of Jewish and Christian background have pointed something out about this. It's that this reaction is the exact same reaction that we have to what the Bible calls sin. We know it's not the best thing for us. We know slavery in Egypt is not even close to the best thing for us. But over time, bad habits and sinful behaviors, they become comfortable there's almost like a, a security to them. It becomes un, unknown. What would happen if I, I stepped out and trusted God? What would happen if I, I reconciled a relationship that I, I, I feel like is so broken I, I don't want to do that? What, what would happen? And so you get halfway to what God has called you into, and then you realize, ooh, at least there's like a little safety of my old way of life. At least I know what to expect. At least it's comfortable and it's familiar because I've lived it a long time, And just like the Israelites, you decide, I would rather just go back. That will be easier. For 2022, here's my message for you, that God has a plan for you. But the plan will be uncomfortable because it, well, I wrote it up here, because it may require giving up security, comfort, and familiarity to pursue real freedom. I, I know so many people who have overcome addiction issues. Some of you sitting here are, are the people I'm speaking of, and I've, I've talked to you about your story, and it's, it's not as simple, is it, as just waking up one day and saying, God, I don't want it anymore. It's an uncomfortable situation to step out in and say there's going to be some hard work required. There's, there's going to be staying away from certain situations. There's going to be staying away from certain people. There's going to be maybe counseling and bringing up some dark things that have happened in the past that have driven me into that behavior, and it hurts and it stings. But here's the deal. God's plan for you doesn't promise that it feels good. It's not feeling dependent. But what it is, is it's a promise to real freedom. So God's plan for you may be uncomfortable at times. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if it's uncomfortable. That does not mean that you're not walking in God's plan because it doesn't feel good. The story continues in verse 13 it says this and Moses said to the people fear not stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today for the Egyptians whom you see today you will never see them again I can imagine them hearing Moses say this and they're listening to Moses and they're like do you not see them? What do you mean that we won't see them? We're about to all be slaughtered. You should be giving us a pep talk of like, hey, nice to know you. It was good uh, doing a little life with you back in Egypt in these last few days in the desert. Hope to see you in the afterlife because here they come. But this is what Moses says. Fear not, stand firm. Why? The salvation of the Lord is coming and you're going to see it. You're going to see it so much so that those Egyptians, you'll never see them again. This is my favorite part of this chunk. Verse 14. The Lord will fight for you And you just have to stay silent. You can laugh. I think that's Moses and God's way of saying, just quit whining and something will happen. Quit whining, quit griping, quit complaining, and watch what God will do. It's hilarious, isn't it? It doesn't feel as hilarious when that's God's message to me. Quit complaining, quit whining, and just watch. You're stalling because of your behavior and your hard headedness. So Moses says, it's, you're not going to have to fight them off. Why? Because God is going to fight for you, and here's what's required of you. All the requirements to destroy the Egyptians, here's what's required. Just shut up. That's literally what it says. The Lord said to Moses in verse 15, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to move forward. Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. This is awesome, isn't it? This is... Uh, in some ways, a lot of scholars say this is the 11th plague. Th- this is the, the plague of stupidity that ends in death for the Egyptians. But here's the deal there is a plan, God says, and I have this. I have this figured out, and here's what's required of you. You need to just listen, you need to be quiet, and I'll do the rest. That's it. So, th- this is Moses' message. Don't be afraid. Stand firm, and if you do those two things, you will see the salvation of the Lord. What is the salvation of the Lord? In in this context, the word salvation is just the great rescue. It's a great rescue that you could never rescue yourself out of, but God will. I love how uh, the author describes this because when God says that he's going to destroy the Egyptians and Pharaoh and all the horsemen and all the chariots, and it keeps listing all of those things, it's not by accident. In the ancient world, the people who were understood to be the most powerful also came with kind of a a religious expectation that their gods were also the most powerful. The whole reason that Egypt is powerful in their mind is our gods are more powerful than our enemies' gods, and so they're blessing us. So when God says that my victory is coming and my victory is going to be complete, what he's saying is that the Egyptians are going to know who's the king of the block when it comes to gods. So much so that all their lowercase g gods will be so irrelevant that I'm going to bring complete and utter destruction to the most powerful military on the planet. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. As we enter 2022, God has a plan for you. And when it doesn't seem to make sense, this is what God's word for the Israelites is move forward. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I was listening to a, a podcast not long ago, um, and I'll, I'll just be totally honest with you. I've been on this roller coaster where I like, get in decent shape, and then I get in pretty not decent shape. You guys know what I'm talking about? I was listening to this, uh, this guy speak. He uh, was like a, a former Navy SEAL, and what he was saying was, was, listen, you don't need motivation. Motivation is the wrong thing. What you need is discipline. Because motivation comes and goes, and it comes and waves. You can get on these tracks where you're in such motivated to change your behavior or your diet or your exercise routine, but then motivation wanes and it goes away. And when it does, you will not have the discipline to back it up. So this is what he was saying. This is what, literally what he said. He said, if you want to get in shape, this was his first suggestion. Set your alarm for, I don't know, 5.30 a.m. every single day. And if you're thinking that's crazy, he said, here's a good first step. Just wake up and get out of bed. Just do that. Just start doing that. And then once you got that down, start walking or reading or doing some activity. Why? Because he's saying, what I want to help you with is getting the discipline of having all the things in place where what the motivation will do is going to be possible. Does that make sense? And as I was listening to this, I I was motivated in some way. But I, I was also thinking that isn't it interesting that God's word does not call us to spiritual motivation? Have you ever noticed that? We call prayer and fasting and tithing and Bible reading, we call them the spiritual disciplines. These Israelites, they're, they're walking. They've gone from a motivated state. and Now they're not feeling motivated. They don't know what to do. And this is what God's word is for them. Just put one foot in front of the other and move forward. Have you ever had this experience? I, I have it often. I flip open God's word. I read it. And then I think, I can't remember what I just read. You guys ever do that? Or you just read it and you think, I'm not really sure what it's trying to say to me. You ever have that? You ever have the experience where you read it and you think, whoa, I'm only one verse in and this has hit me right in between the eyes. This is for me. You guys ever have that? I feel like for me... The discipline of just reading it comes with all those things. But God can't speak to me unless the discipline is there. Why? Because some days I'm going to be so tired, I'm going to be phased out, I'm not going to remember. But when God wants to speak to me, the discipline is there and he has an avenue to speak to me. Does that make sense? So I think this is God's word for the Israelites and it's God's word for us. It's that God has a plan for you. And when it doesn't make sense, you just put one foot in front of the other. You just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Verse 19 says this. Then the angel of God who is I'm sorry, I closed my Bible and all of that tangent. I have the scripture printed on this paper, but I also. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. I think this was in uh, uh, chapter 13 that we already talked about. You guys are are familiar that there's there's these pillars, and they're leading the Israelites out of Egypt. Many of you who are familiar with the story are are these pillars are going to lead them into the desert. You guys know what I'm talking about. In this moment in time, as the Egyptians have the higher ground and as they're coming to destroy the Israelites, this is what God's word I think subtly says. It says that the power of God that is going before them leading them now moves behind them. And I think this is what it means. I, I think it means that God has a plan And if you walk in it, not only will he lead you from the front, he will protect you from the back. God has now revealed a piece of his character. Not only am I the God who's going to lead you out in the desert, but when you come into trials and tribulations and danger, I'll also go behind you and make sure that you are safe as long as you walk in my plan. Verse 21 continues and it says this. This is where all the movies come from. This is, this is the, the meat and potatoes. This is the good stuff. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. So Moses stretched his hand out, but look at this. And the Lord drove back the sea. The Bible doesn't want you to come to any conclusion that Moses drove back the sea. So the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. <clears throat> Verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them, to their right hand and their left hand. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, and he threw them into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily, and the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before the Lord, uh, from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. What a terrifying realization they just came to. The the Egyptians are not just innocent bystanders in this story either, are they? (coughs) Excuse me. They too have seen the power of God in the ten plagues. You remember that? They too have experienced it. They too have been lulled to sleep thinking we have the high ground, there's a whole bunch of people traveling with no swords, no spears, no chariots, no way to defend themselves. This is going to be the easiest military campaign we've ever been called to, right? They probably stayed up late the night before, they probably didn't car load or anything before the main event. This is going to be easy. They follow them. Moses lifts up his staff, the waters begin to separate as the wind blows that God blows the wind and we're going to talk about that in a second and they go after them. And then in the midst of it, the lights go on for them, and they realize, oh no, the same power we experienced back in Egypt, they're not fighting for themselves. That power is fighting against us now. And they immediately say, abandon ship, everybody, let's, let's get out of here. And they panic. I want to uh, allude to a, a scripture that Every single time I opened a book to read about the crossing of the Red Sea, two things came up. So I want to to tell you about them because I think it's important. The first one comes with this connection that happens in the book of Genesis. And it comes right at the very beginning. It's Genesis chapter 1. It says, God creates the world. This is what it says. It says that the spirit of God hovered over the waters or over the deep. You guys know that chunk of the scripture? Now what's interesting is that that word spirit is actually the exact same word in Hebrew for wind or breath. It's the same word that says when when God opens his mouth and breathes out creation, that it's the the creative force, it's the spirit of God that creates, and it's the exact same word that the author of Exodus uses. It's that God drove the, the waters back with a strong east wind. It's this illusion that's exactly what happens when God separates the waters from dry land. The idea is that there, there's something happening here where God is. Oh. <laughs> You're okay, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Whose kid is that? <laughs> I'm trying to preach a sermon here, kid. <laughs> <laughs> His poor teacher, I think he got away. I think he escaped. <laughs> I have no idea where I was. Hang on. I heard it, like, from a distance. You know, like, you know your kids cry or their voice? I was like... <laughs> All right, where we was... Oh, we were talking about Genesis, right? Yeah. The idea is literally the language in the phrase is exactly the same as when God separates the water from the land. And it's exactly what God is doing. He's separating the waters and making dry land. And the idea is that there's some mysterious thing happening where God is creating something new. What's interesting is, is Jews point back and say this is the moment. God has called them through Isaac and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But it's this moment where they are become labeled as we are God's people. And they look back and when they tell the story of how they became God's people, this is the story. God separated the waters. He rescued us and he brought salvation to us when we couldn't bring it to ourselves and that's when we became God's people. His new thing that he created is this relationship where they are forever God's people. That's, what they, that's how they, they talk about this. God is creating something new. When you walk in God's plan, God creates something new. The second thing that every author I read all week connects this to, and it's awesome, it's not just Jews. It's all throughout the New Testament too. It's This story is the Genesis story of baptism. It's this idea that people enter the sea, they enter the water, And when they come out the other side, they are not the same. They're completely and totally different. These people will now go to the ends of the earth. They're no no longer bound by kind of the geography of Egypt. They will now go to the ends of the earth, and they will testify to the power and the miraculous ability of their God. The New Testament picks up on this and says when somebody is baptized, they take their old way of life with them under the water But when they come up, they are a brand new creation. Not a brand new person. They're a brand new creation. God didn't just like renovate them a little bit. When they come up, the New Testament, Paul says, they're a brand new creation. Everything is new. That is the connection to Exodus. So as Moses puts up his staff, they walk through and the Egyptians are defeated. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. That in 2022, I am certain God has a plan for you. And he will make ways for you where there seems like there is no way. Many of you, we could pass a microphone around for the the rest of the year. And you could tell stories of coming to the end of a seashore where you're looking around thinking there's no way. There's no way I'm coming out of this. There's literally nowhere else to walk and God will make a way. Anybody want to just raise your hand and say, that's happened to me before? No way. I'll just spoil the end of the sermon. We all have experienced that in Jesus because God's plan is complete and total victory and freedom in Jesus. We come to the end of ourselves and say, there is no way to move forward because of sin and brokenness in my life. And it is only by the blood of Jesus. The only way forward is through him. Not because of our own doing but because of God. And I'm ruining the end of the sermon. Chapter 26, or I'm sorry, verse 26. This is where we're going to end this morning. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. By the way, for, for Jews, I think I've, I've preached this before, big open water is understood as complete chaos. Uh, the words in Genesis are the formless and void. Those are the places you, sh- you must never go. That's In their belief, that's where evil and, and spirits and demons live. And so what it's saying is that when the the Egyptians are thrown into the heart of the sea and the waters come colliding, you just see this rush of white water. It's saying that they are swallowed in their own evil. Not only did God destroy them in the water, but what really destroyed them is not just God. It's their own evil and sinfulness to say, we want to go pursue those slaves and get them back. If they hadn't pursued them, they wouldn't be dead. So in part... They are responsible for their own destruction and their responsibility is their own sin and their brokenness, their arrogance and their pride. So they're swallowed in the sea. But the people of Israel, verse 29, they walked on dry ground through the sea and the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. This is the end of the story. God's victory is completely and utterly, totally complete. Just like he promised, you will never see the Egyptians again. They're done. In fact, if you follow the story, we don't really hear about them ever again. God has complete and total victory. The last thing I want to leave with you as we kind of wrap up is, is this. That in 2022, God who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. In 2022, what God wants to do in you is he wants to bring you victory. Not Not some pie-in-the-sky victory where you end up with a yellow Ferrari in your garage by some theological gymnastics, right? Not some way where if you just buy the self-help book that we don't have at the lobby that somehow you're going to get rich and everything's going to be fine. He wants to work in you in 2022 like he has always been working in you since the day that you said yes, and that is to bring you complete and total victory from sin and brokenness in your life that God has a plan for you, and his plan is total and complete victory that is only possible in Jesus. I want to make a a couple last notes as we wrap up. I love how this chunk of the scripture ends, but I think it's safe for us to consider what is coming. The scripture this morning ends this way. It says... In verse 31, that Israel saw the power of the Lord. They saw God take out all the Egyptians. They feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Feels warm and cozy, doesn't it? You get the tinglys. Oh, they finally get it, right? But the Israelites are on a roller coaster of a lifetime. They're on a roller coaster that many of us experience. They've seen the 10 plagues happen, and they're feeling like, yeah, that guy's on our side. We're winning, Right? They've gone out into the desert, they've walked out defiantly, and then a couple verses later they're like, oh no, we're all going to die, it's Moses' fault, this is what's going to happen, we're all going to die, right? Then God separates the sea, they walk through, and they're like, yeah, he's back on our team, we're winning, right? Anybody ever feel that way? The Israelites, they go out into the wilderness, and there are so many jokes about to happen at their expense because they just don't get it, Right? They don't get it. God feeds them. They're like, oh, thank speed to God. He fed us in our time of need. And then they're like, this isn't working. Let's worship idols and see how that works. And then God comes in and is like, no, you can't do that. Your time is now going to be 40 years, right? And they're like, oh, no, we actually do fear the Lord. And then God brings water through a rock, and they drink. And they're like, yay, God's on our side. And then they're like, we're so parched. How come there's no water? Who will ever bring us water? Like, this is their story. So I think it's, it would be a mistake to just conclude that these people are just a, a bunch of like schizophrenic weaklings that can't make up their mind. I think that they are a glimpse into what happens when we only count on spiritual motivation to follow God. What happens when we are only spiritually motivated is we're looking for the next best sermon. We're looking for the next great podcast. We're looking for the next great book. Why? Because we're just looking for someone to fan the flame for us so that we'll follow God and it will never feel bad. It will always feel good. God's plan is not feeling dependent. He's not calling us just to be motivated all the time. His own word calls them the spiritual disciplines. And the disciplines are are, are, are said of themselves They will bring great fruit. They will bring great reward in your life. They won't always feel like you're making making ground up. They won't always feel good. It won't always feel good to wake up and, and read the Bible. It won't always feel like, man, that one was for me. Sometimes you get to the book of Leviticus and you're like, what on earth is going on? That happens, right? And God says, just put one foot in front of the other and continue. Why? Because I've called you to discipline This is your entire life as an act of worship. Not go do whatever you want, then on a Sunday morning, just come get your your, your refill, and it'll always feel nice. That's spiritual motivation, and that has a place in our life. But God calls us to spiritual discipline. When When we walk in it, that is God's plan for us, and we begin to experience the freedom that God has for us in and through Jesus. And so as I wrap up, here's my New Year's resolution for you. My New Year's resolution for you is that you would walk in God's plan for you. And you would remember the way to stay on the path is to follow the discipline that God has for you. It's the day in, the day out. It's the hard work. It's the one foot in front of the other. It's the, I don't get this chunk of scripture, but I'm just going to keep reading because I know God has something for me. And I'm just going to keep pursuing it. It's, I've been praying. I don't feel like anything's going to happen, but God calls me to it. So I'm just going to continue to believe that God will reveal himself and show up when it's God's timing. That's my message for you this morning. So God, as we head into a new year, we just do so with open hands. We want to walk in the plan that you have for us. We want to walk in the path of freedom of complete and total salvation from all things that that don't have our best interests in mind. And so God, as we begin 2022, as we, maybe some of us are making resolutions or, or some of us are looking for motivation to make some, here is what we want to offer to you. We just want to offer our lives. We ask that you would sand us down, you would polish us, you would make us to look and act more and more like Jesus every day. Would we pursue you? Would we put one foot in front of the other? Would we not be tripped up when when it feels like we're confused or we're unsure? We know that your plan is perfect and we want to walk in it. So would we encourage each other as a church body? Would we lift each other up when we need it? Would we be encouragement? Would we celebrate when celebration comes? So we love you. We give you all that we are. We ask that you would lead us every single day, that you would be the voice whispering in our ears to draw closer and closer to you. Amen. Amen. Happy 2022. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes.